Hey everyone, this is Cloud2 uh, and I'm at Southeast Linux Fest. Things are just winding down, but not for me. I'm sitting here with uh, Wendy Seltzer, who gave a really cool talk on uh, software patents. Got to talk about software patents and software copyrights and copyright treaty making and uh, even a little bit of network neutrality thrown in there. Well, okay, so it seems to me, and and you can tell me if this is just my impression or if this is correct, um, but it seems to me like the whole issue of software patents is kind of like blown up recently, or maybe I'm just becoming more aware of it, but is it like sort of coming to a head or something? Um, yes, I think we've seen a huge spike in the numbers of software patents and the number uh, of software patents being asserted in lawsuit demands, litigation, settlements, and a lot more companies are being drawn into patent fights, and a lot more uh, nonprofits and free software projects are getting concerned about uh, the proliferation of software patents and what that means for their ability to continue producing and distributing software that is free and free to modify, because uh, that's such an important part of uh, many free and open source software projects, right. but uh, with a patent in the software, it's very difficult to tell your downstream users modify this freely right. uh, if that might mean uh, they too would run into patent problems. So the companies asserting the patents, are they just doing this for their, I mean, literally for, for profit? I mean, I mean, is that their goal or, or, or is there a clear answer to that? There's a mix of motivations. Okay. There are some companies who get patents to uh, preserve what they genuinely believe is the new technology that they have spent money developing and they want to preserve a competitive advantage mm -hmm. uh, in that by locking others out from being able to uh, use it. Sure. Um, and there are some fields where that rationale means a lot more than it does in the software field. So in the pharmaceutical field, where it costs millions and millions of dollars to develop a drug, to run it through testing, to get right. it up through sort of human subjects testing and determine that it is safe and effective medicine, uh, a company wants to be assured that if it gets through that process and tries it dozens of times and fails uh, but has one success, that it will be able to protect that success against imitation because it's much more difficult to find the molecule among right. many that don't work uh, than it is once you've seen that the molecule works simply to duplicate it. For sure, sure. And so a lot of people think maybe patents are useful in the pharmaceutical industry. Software development doesn't seem to work that way. Right. It's not that there's a great idea and if only we could find that idea, uh, <laughs> we'd have struck gold. Mm -hmm. It's There are lots of great ideas, but it takes a lot of time and effort to implement, to develop it uh, well, and where you gain your competitive advantages by doing good implementation, by doing good marketing and customer development, by working with the customers to tailor products to, uh, to what they need, and, and then where you should be gaining the exclusivity is in those relationships and not in being able to lock anyone out of uh, equivalent functionality. Uh, another problem with the software realm is that a lot of interconnection and interoperability depends on standards hmm. where we're not necessarily talking about what is the best way to solve a problem, what's the best codec for encoding video, mm -hmm. but what codec will allow me to view the videos that are out there and what 
will what format will allow me to exchange with uh, the other people I want to communicate with, mm-hmm. and their patents just serve as rent-seeking. It's a way for somebody to claim the format and extract a little bit of money from everybody else who wants to use it. Right. Um, and uh, especially when people come in with patents late in a standards process or sort of watch a standards process from outside without coming forward to volunteer that they have some patents right. uh, involved with the mix, uh, that the combination can get really toxic. Okay. So, I mean, that last bit, because you mentioned the word codec and I do a lot of multimedia, so it's interesting to me. Something like that, groups are are literally trying to patent the act of encoding video, which I imagine cannot possibly be. I mean, the code that one that subject that company A uses may be unique, but the act of encoding video certainly cannot be unique. So is that what you mean by them actually trying to patent something that that they don't want anyone else to be able to do? but they're not actually patenting the implementation of that. They're patenting the idea, I guess. Well, p- patents can be issued for processes and methods as well as for machines and combinations of matter. Mm-hmm. And so a novel and non-obvious method for encoding video mm-hmm. um, could be patentable. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody discovers uh, a new compression format mm-hmm. and implements that uh, to encode video, patent office has granted uh, lots of patents in this realm. Mm. Um, now, I'm not saying that all of these are good patents or patents that should exist, uh, but, but lots of them currently uh, do exist. And once the patent office has issued uh, a patent, it comes with a presumption of validity. Uh, so somebody who is accused of infringement uh, bears a burden to prove that the patent is invalid. That's weird. And uh, seems kind of like the inverse of sort of the way things are supposed to be done here, at least in America. Because isn't it more like you're innocent until proven guilty? But it sounds like in patents you're almost guilty until proven innocent. Well, you've got two chances to prove your uh, innocence. You can claim uh, against a claim of patent infringement. You can claim non-infringement that the patent is that may be out there, but what you're doing doesn't infringe the patent, mm-hmm. uh, and you can claim invalidity. Okay. That the patent is out there, but it's invalid and should be struck, stricken down. So okay. even if what you're doing comes within the patentable realm, uh, you're safe because the patent is no good. And uh, both of those are expensive to prove. Mm. Um, and the burden uh, of proof for invalidity is against the... The, the, the accused. Right, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, because the assumption is that the patent office has already given it one examination and oh, okay. uh, that they have some expertise, uh, although one problem in the realm of software patents is, is that their expertise only stretches so far and there's an awful lot of art out there. There's a lot, awful lot of software development and software design right. uh, that's out there, but not documented in patent records. And so patent examiners, even if they're smart people and even if they are doing uh, searches, aren't necessarily finding all of sure. the prior art that would make uh, a, a new, newly claimed patent invalid, mm-hmm. uh, so they don't see anything that directly matches and uh, may allow more claims than uh, are warranted. Okay. So, i got a small company. I'm developing some software. 
I'm working really hard on it. I've invested a lot of money. I come out with my product. And, I mean, if if there's something that I feel like I can patent and that would secure, you know, that would kind of like lock out the competition. And and I mean, what other avenue is there if I w- didn't want to do a patent? I, I said, okay, I, I don't agree with patents. What do I do? I mean, I just release it and just hope that someone doesn't knock it off tomorrow and, and compete with me? Well, if, if I were giving legal advice, and of course I'm not giving legal advice in this podcast, uh, but um, want to walk through the steps of what is it that you're trying to do and how is it that a patent will or won't help. So you're a young company, you're starting out with a product, how much is it going to cost you to get a patent and would you be better served spending that five to fifteen to twenty thousand oh, dollars okay. uh, on development and developers and uh, engineers and user interface designers and marketers rather than on a patent attorney? Okay. How much time will it take your engineers away from their work to be documenting this thing uh, in order to obtain a patent rather than doing the work the, of developing new products? Okay. Well, I'm sold, but go ahead. And even if you got that patent, Mm -hmm. would you have the extra resources it takes to enforce it against somebody else uh, who was infringing? uh, Or uh, would you, because bringing a litigation is expensive too, uh, and if you think you're going to be up against better financed competitors who will feel free to just walk over you if they think that you're doing something cool and they'd rather like to take it, Mm -hmm. then the patent isn't going to help much. So if you can early on spend the money to be the first one in the market and do it better than uh, anyone else, build a following and uh, build up uh, the network effects around Mm -hmm. your product or service, that's often going to be more valuable. So almost like build up like a loyal community around your project or something where people know you, they know you have good quality and they are going to stick with you. Yes, and... Uh, you don't have to reveal everything to the world if if you are uh, going the more proprietary route. Mm-hmm. You can keep things as trade secrets and uh, not tell them uh, how you've done everything. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you can take a, a more open route and say, we're going to, to share this with, uh, with the public uh, so that customers know that you know, we are the developers. We're not afraid of others coming in, yeah. but if they want to come to uh, the original source and get customization or uh, advice, uh, this is the company that knows the product best. Right. Okay, so along a similar vein probably. So if I've got a program and it does certain things um, and and it's laid out in a certain way, I'm, I'm just like thinking of like something like Photoshop and then something else comes out, maybe again, and it's very, very, very similar. How is that not infringing on patents, or is it possibly, or is that the kind of gray area that patent litigation is? There are a couple of kinds of intellectual property that cover software, of course. There's copyright uh, that covers the expression and that covers the particular instance of source code and object code that makes up Photoshop. So Mm -hmm. nobody can come along and just wholesale copy that uh, and sell it to you as Photoshop Prime uh, (laughs) because that would be a copyright infringement. Um, But there's a gap between what copyright covers and what patent covers. Patent covers the functionality, copyright covers the expression, but patent only covers novel and non-obvious functionality. And uh, if you're 
looking at Photoshop and looking for what's novel and non-obvious in there, there are a whole bunch of patent numbers that flash up on the screen uh, when right, the thing sure. launches, yeah, uh, yeah. or at least it did the last time I ran Photoshop. Um, and so they're claiming something in there. I haven't gone and looked them up, but it's probably some of the filters that they apply sure. to, uh, to images and uh, some of the particular manipulations. It's unlikely that they could patent something like the basic workflow of open up an image, crop it, uh, draw some lines over it mm -hmm. uh, because those are things that exist in the prior art in various ways. I think one of the things that Adobe has tried to claim at some point uh, is its menuing system, its nested really? uh, menus and palettes, mm -hmm. the little toolbars mm -hmm. uh, on the side. And uh, those little pieces of interface design, sort of once you see them, they they don't look like uh, a whole lot of uh, no novel, non-obvious right, right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. material. But unfortunately, courts tend to be over-cautious about uh, the notion of hindsight bias. Mm -hmm. They're afraid that uh, they'll be too tempted to apply, well, once we've seen it, it's obvious, but uh, beforehand, uh, it took some greater insight. And so I'm not quite sure where that uh, patent is in mm -hmm. litigation. Okay, so I'm a video artist, a filmmaker. I make a cool movie about um, a space alien who uh, goes into the future and conquers a, a planet and becomes the ruler. Three years later, Hollywood comes out with a really cool movie about a space alien who goes back in time. Why can't I get a patent on my idea and say that they infringed on that patent, like an idea of art. That's one of the areas where patent does not apply. Patent but why doesn't not? apply to textual cover. matter or, uh, it needs to be, um, at least in the words of the Federal Circuit, uh, in considering the Bilski business method patent, uh, it needs to be either uh, an implementation on a particular machine or uh, transformation of matter. But, I, but I'm transferring so visual, vision. I mean, it's on film, and I'm transferring it to your eyeballs, and then Hollywood's transferring the same story on film. If it's just an abstract idea, uh -huh. it's not patentable. But yeah. how, is, how is, like, a software, something that software does? I mean, that's a pretty abstract idea to me. Like, you... And this is one of the reasons that people have questioned why software uh, is patentable mm. as well, because it seems like just generic implementation of abstract mm -hmm. ideas, uh -huh. and algorithms are facts of nature. Right, so right. Einstein didn't patent E equals MC squared. He only discovered <laughs> that that was in fact how uh, <laughs> right. energy and matter were related. Yeah. And... Uh, it seems similarly that even more complex algorithms that you use a computer to implement mm -hmm. are just figuring out laws of nature okay. uh, shouldn't be patentable. But whether it's because they've become more economically important and mm. that has inclined lawyers to seek them and courts to grant them mm -hmm. uh, patents or whether people have a hard time drawing the line between machine and 
uh, abstract idea once you start implementing the abstract ideas in software on a machine. Yeah. Um, there has been uh, a greater tendency to grant those patents. Okay. Uh, the Supreme Court is currently considering the Bilski case. Perhaps yeah, so, by the time so, this comes out, yeah, we'll yeah. actually uh, have well, a decision. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not a patent geek or anything. So the Bilski case, uh, can you give me like a 250-word summary or, or more? <laughs> or <laughs> I'll <less>. try. <laughs> um, all right, so Bilski in 1997 went to the patent office with his uh, claim to a method for the hedging of commodities trading risks. And it basically was, you find somebody who bears a risk if the market goes up and somebody who bears a risk if the market goes down and you buy something from each of them to put it together into a hedge. Okay. So that you in the center are okay whether the market goes up or down. And his examples were around the energy uh, market. Uh, but basically he was describing in words what commodities traders and others who operate in the financial markets try to do all the time. And uh, the patent office uh, saw this and rejected his patent application uh, as not within the scope of patentable subject okay. matter. And the uh, patent appeals uh, rejected it and the Federal Circuit, uh, which hears uh, those uh, appeals of those cases uh, rejected it, um, saying uh, in more uh, long, lengthy terms that this was neither uh, a implemented on a particular machine uh, nor a uh, transformation of matter. And uh, because of that, it failed the test for patentable subject matter. You can patent anything under the sun that is made by man, uh, the courts say, mm -hmm. but this wasn't something that was made. This was just an idea. He was thinking about how to uh, hedge risk. Uh, and he appealed that up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court took cert on the case and heard it last November. Oh. Um, and during the arguments, they... Uh, raised all sorts of questions of why descriptions of this sort uh, should be patentable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is a business method patent, which have been sort of controversial since uh, courts started allowing them uh, a while back in the State Street uh, case and other financial instruments okay. uh, and trading patent. And uh, this is the chance for the, the Supreme Court to give some more clarity. Oh, uh, I, I, I hope by saying, no, these business methods are, are not patentable. Uh, you don't need the patent incentive uh, in order to in, innovate new ways of doing business. Right. Your business will make more money, and right. that <laughs> should be incentive enough. Right. Um, and describing uh, these things shouldn't be uh, permitted to block someone else from, uh, from using them. Now, the hope in the software community uh, is that uh, and especially among uh, free and open source software who uh, tend not to like software patents too right. much, uh, is that the Supreme Court can also give some guidance on narrowing the scope of software patents. Uh, okay. That uh, they too are, as we were saying earlier, often just uh, algorithms in, uh, use on a generic machine, right. uh, not tailored to a particular machine or changing the way uh, it operates. Yeah. Um, the, 
those uh, should be public domain and uh, and not patentable. So depending on how the court rules, um, that could help to narrow the scope of software patents. Conceivably, it could uh, enlarge the scope, although they've been going so far, it's hard to see how uh, <laughs> they'd go any further. Right. Okay, so you're like a patent lawyer, I guess. Um, how did you get, I mean, does, it doesn't sound like patents necessarily are, are going to lead to uh, all the uber technical stuff you're actually involved in. So how did you get involved in the whole technical side of things? Uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm not a patent agent, okay. um, but I am an intellectual property lawyer, ah, okay. and okay. Uh, I got interested in both intellectual property law and technology um, around the same time. I mean, as I was going through college and law school and playing with the early web and mm. uh, all of the things one could do with open source software mm. on uh, a machine sitting under the desk. Mm. And, uh, and looking at intellectual property law, which was supposed to be uh, as the Constitution puts it, to promote the progress of science and the useful arts. Ah. Uh, and so, in theory, uh, intellectual property law is supposed to be promoting the same things that technologists want, right, progress right. and development. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I got further into uh, the open source world, I started to see places where they just didn't seem to fit together so well. Right, right. Uh, that copyright law was being used against free access uh, and sharing of information, uh, patent law interfering with uh, development uh, and interoperability, and of course copy left uh, in the GNU GPL takes yeah. an interesting twist, uh -huh. using the tools of copyright to uh, enforce freedom of <laughs> right. software, yeah. and that's of neat and fun and clever. Was that your introduction to, to Linux by chance? Like the finding out about like the GPL and stuff? Well, it was sort of a convergence because, mm -hmm. you know, I was a poor college student and uh, trying to make the most of my technology buck. Um, had an old computer that could run Linux and mm -hmm. do things with it that it couldn't possibly do with the consumer version of Windows. Mm -hmm. You know, I could run a web server and yeah. <laughs> uh, I could download this software that people were sharing freely and right, right. Uh, put first the O'Reilly web server and then Apache onto uh, a machine. And yeah, that, that, was, that was cool. Yeah. And then uh, when I got into law school, I also saw some of the cool things being done with licensing. Right. And, okay. Uh, so... Uh, wanted to see how I could combine those cool. uh, through uh, first, first uh, legal work uh, with the Berkman Center and with the Electronic Frontier oh, cool. Foundation, oh, okay. yeah. and and then uh, trying to uh, through teaching introduce more students to yeah. these ideas because uh, if they get the power of open source and get how development can work when people can share freely and are encouraged to do that and uh, can be motivated by things other than the right to exclude, often we get developments that you couldn't imagine getting by paying people. Right. Um, we see that in lots of uh, 
the open source software that powers the web, mm -hmm. uh, that powers the internet, yeah. um, and more recently in some of the, the content sites on top of it, right. uh, Wikipedia, yeah. the photo collections on Flickr with huge amounts licensed under Creative Commons sharing encouraged yeah. licenses are producing stock photography collections mm -hmm. that are way beyond the scope of what a Getty Images has. Cool. Yeah. And that's starting to scare some of the people who <laughs> made their money by excluding yeah. uh, people from use of material. But for the general public and for the public at large, it's a great thing. It's access to a huge amount more uh, information and a wide range of choice of how they want to uh, share. Creative Commons uh, and GPL don't say everything must be licensed under these terms, but mm -hmm. they do provide a strong alternative for people who want to share rather than to exclude. Yeah, cool. All right, last question, promise. Uh, was the bar exam really that hard? The bar exam is a pain. Oh, yeah? It tests lots of, of minutia on subjects that you may not have been paying any attention to in law school <laughs> or may not even have studied in law school, and for the brief three months of study and taking the exam. These are the only things that you think about. Wow. And then after you pass the exam, <laughs> you don't often think about them again. <laughs> but it's sort of the price of guild membership. <laughs> I see. Okay, cool. Hey, thanks for talking to me, Wendy. It was uh, great to see you again this year, and hopefully I'll see you next year. Thanks, Roger. Great to talk to you. Cool. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net. So head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.